Hey, hello, what do you guys think of my new introduction? Is it, is it good? You like it? You like it? I'm just weird. Uh, I was looking, I was looking through a bunch of them, like a bunch of new music, and um, I found a lot of like, p- just boring piano, and some was like, I don't know, funeral, funeral songs, um, yeah. A bunch of them were weird, but more on that after the chapter, because new listener, listeners are going to be like, what is this guy doing? Hello, my name is Isaac, and today I will be reading Percy Jackson and the Battle of the Labyrinth, Chapter 2. The Underworld Sends Me a Prank Call Nothing caps off the perfect morning like a long taxi ride with an angry girl. I tried to talk to Annabeth, but she was acting like I'd punched her grandmother. All I managed to get out of her was that she that she'd had a monster-infested spring in San Francisco. She'd come back to camp twice since Christmas, but wouldn't tell me why, which kind of ticked me off because she hadn't even told me she was in New York, and she'd learned nothing about the whereabouts of Nico D'Angelo. Long story. Any words on Luke? I asked. She shook her head. I knew that this was a touchy stub- subject for her. Annabeth had always admired Luke, the former head counselor of her for Hermes, who had betrayed us and joined the evil Titan Lord Kronos. She, would, she wouldn't admit it, but I knew she still liked him. When we fought Luke on Mount Tampolis last winter, he'd somehow survived a 15-meter fall off a cliff. Now, as far as I knew, he was still sailing around on his demon-infested cruise ship while his chopped-up Lord Kronos reformed bit by bit in a golden circus sarcophagus abiding his time until he had enough power to challenge the Olympian gods. In demigod speak, we call this a problem. Mount Tam is overrun with monsters, Annabeth said. I didn't dare go close, but I don't think Luke is up there. I think I'd known if, if he was. That didn't make me feel much better. What about Grover? He's at camp, she said. We'll see him today. Did he have any luck? I mean, with a search for Pan? Annabeth fingered her bead bracelet necklace the way she does when she's worried. You'll see, she says. She said, but she didn't explain. As we headed through Brooklyn, I used Annabeth's phone to call my mom. Half-bloods try not to use cell phones if we can avoid it, because broadcasting our voices is like sending up a flare to monsters. Here I am, please eat me now. But I figured this was... This call was important. I left a message on our home voicemail trying to explain what had happened to Goody. I probably didn't do a very good job. I told my mom I was fine. She shouldn't worry. But I was going to stay at camp until things cooled down. I asked her to tell Paul Blofus I was sorry. We rode in silence after that. The sea melted away until we were off the expressway and rolling through the countryside of northern Long Island, past orchards and wineries and fresh produce stands. I stared at the phone number Rachel Elizabeth Dare had scrawled on my hand. I knew it was crazy, but I was tempted to call her. Maybe she could help me understand what the imposts had been talking about. The camp burning, my friends imprisoned. And why had Kelly exploded into flames? I knew monsters never truly died. Eventually, maybe weeks, months, or years from now, Kelly would reform out of the primordial nastiness seething in the underworld. But still... Monsters didn't usually let themselves get destroyed so easily, if she really was destroyed. The taxi exit on the taxi exited on Route 25A. We exited 
We headed through the woods along the north shore until a long ridge of hills appeared on our left. Annabeth told the driver to pull over on Farm Road 3.151 at the base of Half Blood Hill. The driver frowned. There ain't nothing there. There ain't nothing here, miss. You sure you want out? Yes, please. Annabeth handed him a roll of mortal cash, and the driver decided not to argue. Annabeth and I hiked the rest of it to the crest of the hill. The young guardian dragon was dozing, coiled around the pine tree, but he lifted his coppery head as we approached and let Annabeth scratch under his chin. Steam hissed out of his nostrils like a kettle, and he went cross-eyed with pleasure. He Peleus, Annabeth said, keeping everything safe. The last time I'd seen the dragon, he'd been two meters long. Now he's at least twice that, and as thick, and as, and as thick around as the tree itself. Above his head, on the lowest branch of the pine tree, the golden fleece shimmered, its magic protecting the camp's borders from invasion. The dragon seemed relaxed, like everything was okay. Below us, Camp Hathlet looked peaceful. Green fields, forest, shiny white Greek buildings. A four-story farmhouse, we called the Big House, sat proud... We called the Big House, sat proudly in the midst of the strawberry fields. To the north, past the beach, the Long Island sun glittered in the sunlight. Still, something felt wrong. There was tension in the air, as if the hill itself was, were holding its breath, waiting for something bad to happen. We walked down into the valley and found the summer session in full swing. Most of the campers had arrived last Friday, so I already felt out of it. The satyrs played their pipes in the strawberry fields, making the plants grow with woodland magic. Campers were having flying horseback lessons, swooping over the woods on their pegasi. Smoke rose from the forges, and hammers rang as kids made their own weapons for arts and crafts. The Athena and Diameter captains were having a chariot race around the track, and over at the canoe lake, some kids in Greek Tremere were fighting a large orange sea serpent. A, a typical day at camp. I need to talk to Clarice, Annabeth said. I just stared at her as I stared at her as if she just said, I need to eat a large smelly boot. What for? Clarice from the Aries cabin was, was one of my least favorite people. She was mean, ungrateful, and a bully. Her dad, the war of the war god, wanted to kill me. She tried to beat me in pulp on a regular basis. to a pulp on a regular basis. Other than that, she was just great. You've been working on something. We've been working on something, Annabeth said. I'll see you later. Working on what? Annabeth glanced towards the forest. I'll tell Chiron you're here, he said. He'll want to talk to you before the hearing. What hearing? But she jogged down the path towards the jo- towards the archery field without looking back. Yeah, I muttered. Great talking to you, too. As I made my way through camp, I said hi to some of my friends. The big house, dr- big house's driveway, Connor and Travis stole from the Hermes cabin, were hot-wiring the camp's van. Selena Bordegard, the head counselor for Aphrodite, waved at me from her pegasus as she flew past. I looked for Grover, but I didn't see him. Finally, I wandered into, a sword, into the sword arena, where I usually went, where I usually go when I'm in a bad mood. Practicing always calms me down. Maybe that's because sword play is the one thing I'm actually un- I actually understand. I walked into the amphitheater, and my heart almost bro- and my heart almost stopped. In the middle of the arena floor, with its back to me, was the biggest hellhound I'd ever seen. I mean. I've seen some pretty big hellhounds, one 
the size of a rhino try to kill me when I was 12. But this hellhound was bigger than a tank. I had no idea how it got past the camp's magical boundaries. It looked right at me. It looked right at home, lying on its belly, growing contently as it chewed the head of a combat dummy. And it hadn't noticed me yet. If I made a sound, I knew it would sense me. There's no time to get for help. I pulled that reptile and uncapped it. I charged. I brought down the blade on the monster's enormous backside. When out of nowhere, another sword blocked my strike. Clang! The hellhound pricked out its ears. Woof! I jumped back and instinctively struck at the swordman. Gray-haired guy in Greek armor. He parried my he parried me my attack with no problem. Whoa there, he said. Truce. Woof! The hellhound's bark shook the arena. That's a hellhound, I shouted. She's harmless, the man said. That's Mrs. O'Leary. I blinked. Mrs. O'Leary? At the sound of her name, the hellhound barked again. I realized she wasn't angry. She was excited. She nudged the soggy, badly chewed target dummy towards the swordsman. Good girl, the man said. With his free hand, he grabbed the armored mannequin by the neck and headed it towards the stance. Get the Greek! Get the Greek! Mrs. O'Leary bounded after her prey and bounced on the dummy, flattening its armor. She began chewing on the helmet. The swordman smiled dryly. He was in his fifties, I guess, with short gray hair and clipped gray beard. He was in a good mood for an older guy. He wore black mountain-climbing trousers on a brown breastplate strapped over an orange camp t-shirt. At the base of his necklace... At the base of his neck was a strong mark. A strange mark. A purplish blotch, like a birthmark or a tattoo. Before I could make out what it was, he shifted his arm straps and the mark disappeared under his collar. Mrs. O'Leary is my pet, he explained. I couldn't let you you stick a sword in her rump, you know, could I? That might have scared her. Who are you? Promise not to kill me if I put my sword away? I guess. He sheathed, he sheathed his sword and held out his hand. Quintus. I shook his hand. It was as rough as sandpaper. Percy Jackson, I said. Sorry about... How did you, um... Get up Hellhound for a pet? Long story involving many close calls with death and quite a few giant chew toys. I'm the new sword instructor, by the way, helping carrying out while Mr. D's away. Oh. I tried not to stare as Mrs. O'Leary ripped off the target dummy's shield with the arm still attached and shook it like a frisbee. Wait, Mr. D is away? Yes, well, busy times. Even Dionysus must help out. He's gone to visit some old friends, make sure they're on the right side. I probably shouldn't make sure... I probably shouldn't say more than that. If Dionysus was gone, that's the best news I've had all day. He's our only camp director because... He was only our camp director because Zeus has sent him here as a punishment for chasing us, for chasing some off-limits wood nymph. He'd hated the camp prison, tried to make our lives miserable. With him away, this summer might actually be cool. On the other hand, if Dionysus had got off his butt and actually started helping the gods recruit against the Titan's threat, things must be looking pretty bad. Off to my left, there was a loud bump. Six wooden crates the size of picnic tables were stacked nearby, and they were rattling. Mrs. O'Leary's, Mrs. O'Leary cocked her head towards, her heads and bounded towards them. Whoa, girl! 
Quintus said. Those aren't for you. He distracted her with a bronze shield frisbee. The crates thumped and shook. Her words printed on the sides with my... But with my dyslexia, it took me a few minutes to decipher. Triple G Ranch, fragile, this way up. Along the bottom, in small letters, opened with care, Triple G Ranch is not responsible for property damage, maiming, or excruciating painful deaths. What's in the boxes? I asked. A little surprise, Quintus said. Training activity for tomorrow night. You'll love it. Um... Okay, I said. Well, I wasn't sure about the excruciating, painful deaths part. Quintus threw the bronze shield, and Mrs. O'Leary lumbered after it. The young one needs more. The young ones need more challenges. They didn't have camps back this like, like this when I was a boy. You're, you're a half-blood? I didn't mean to sound so surprised, but I'd never seen an old demigod before. Quintus chuckled. Some of us do survive until adulthood, you know. Not all of us are the subject of terrible prophecies. You know about my prophecies? You know about my prophecy? I've heard a few things. I wanted to ask what few things, but just then Kyron clip-clocked in Therina. Percy, there you are! He must have come from teaching archery. He had a quiver and a bow slung over his no number one centaur t-shirt. He trimmed his curly brown hair and bearded for the summer and beard for the summer in his lower and his lower half, which was a white salian, was flecked with mud and grass. I never, I see you've met our new instructor. Karen's tone was light, but there was an uneasy look in his eyes. Quintus, do you mind if I borrow Percy? Not at all, Master Chiron. No need to call me Master, Chiron said, but he sounded sort of pleased. Come, Percy, we have much to discuss. <clears throat> I took one more glance at Mrs. O'Leary, who's now chewing off the target dummy's legs. We'll see you, I told Quintus. As we were walking away, I whispered to Chiron. Quintus seems kind of... Mysterious, Chiron suggested. Hard to read? Yeah. Chiron nodded. A very qualified half-blood. Excellent swordsman. I just wish I understood. Whatever he was going to say, he apparently changed his mind. First things first, Percy. Annabeth told me you met some imposi. Yeah. I told them about the fight at Goody, and how Kelly exploded into flames. Hmm, Kyron said. The more powerful ones can do that. She did not die, Percy. She simply escaped. It is not good that she deem that the sheep demons are stirring. What are they doing there? What were they doing there? I asked. Uh, waiting for me? Possibly, Kyron frowned. It is amazing you survived. Their power of deception? Almost any male hero would have fallen under their spell and been devoured. I would have been admitted, except for Rachel. Kyra nodded. Ironic to be saved by a mortal, yet we owe her a debt. What the Imposa said about the attack on camp, we must speak of this further. But for now, come. We should get out we should get to the woods. Grovo will want you there. Where? At his formal hearing, Kyron said. The Council of Cloven Elders is meeting now to decide his fate. Kyron said we needed to hurry, so I let him give it, so I let him give me a ride on his back. As we galloped past the cabins, I glanced at the dining hall, a open Greek, an open-air Greek pavilion on a hill overlooking the sea. It was the first time I'd seen the place since last summer, and it brought back bad memories. Karen plunged into the woods. Nymphs peeked out out of the trees to watch us pass. 
Large shapes rustled in the shadows, monsters that were kept in here as a challenge to the campers. I thought I knew the forest pretty well after playing Capture the Flag here for two summers, but Karen took me away I didn't recognize, through a tunnel of old willow trees, past a little waterfall, and into a glade blanketed with wildflowers. A bunch of satyrs were sitting in a circle circle, on the grass. Grover stood in the middle, facing three really old, really fat satyrs who sat in a temporary thrones shaped out of those bushes. Shaped out of rose bushes, sorry. I'd never seen the three old satyrs before, but I guess that must have been the Council of Cloven Elders. Grover seemed to be telling them a story. He twisted the bottom of his shirt, shifted nervously on his goat hooves. He hadn't changed since last winter, maybe because satyrs aged half as fast as humans. His acne had flared up. His horns got a little bigger, just so they stuck over his curly hair. I realized with a start that I was taller than him now. Standing off to one side of the circle were Annabeth, another girl I'd never seen before, and Clarice. Karen dropped me next to them. Clarice, Clarice's string, stringy brown hair was tied back in a camouflage bandana. If possible, she looked even buffer, like she'd been working out. She glared at me and muttered, Punk, which must have meant she was in a good mood. Usually, she says hello by trying to kill me. Annabeth had her arm around the other girl, who looked like she'd been crying. She was small, petty, I guess you'd call it, with wispy hair the color of amble and pretty, and a pretty elfish face. She wore a green chinton and lace sandals, and she was dabbing her eyes with a handkerchief. It's going to be terrible. It's going terribly, she sniffled. No, no, Annabeth patted her shoulder. He'll be fine, Juniper. Annabeth looked at me and mouth of the words, Grover's girlfriend. At least I thought that's what she said, but that made no sense. Grover with a girlfriend? Then I looked at Juniper more closely, and I realized her ears were slightly pointed. Her eyes, instead of make, being a red from crying, were tinged with green, a color of chlorophyll. She was a tree nymph, a dryad. Master Underwood, the council member on the right shouted, cutting off whatever Grover was trying to say. Do you seriously expect us to believe this? But Selenius, Grover stammered, it's the truth! The council guy, Selenius, turned to his colleagues and muttered something. Kyron canteed up to the front and stood next to them. I remembered he was an honorary member of the council, but I never thought about it much. The elders didn't look very impressive. They reminded me of the goats and the petting zoo. Huge belly, sleepy expressions, and gazed eyes that glazed eyes that would couldn't see past the next handful of goat Joe. I wasn't sure why Grover looked so nervous. Selenius tucked his yellow polo shirt over his belly and adjusted himself on the rosebush throne. Master Underwood, for six months, six months, we've been hearing these scandal claims, scandalous claims that you heard the wild god Pan speak. But I did! Impudence, said the elder on the left. Now, Moron, Karen said. Patience. Patience indeed, Moron said. I've had it up to my horns with this nonsense, as if this wild god would speak to him. To him. Gunifer looked Juniper looked like she wanted to charge the old satyr and beat him up, but Annabeth and Clarice held her back. Wrong fight, girl, eh? Clarice muttered. Wait. I don't know what surprised me more. Clarice holding somebody back from a fight, 
or the fact that she and Annabeth, who despised each other, almost seemed like they were working together. For six months, Selenius continued, we have included you, indulged you, Master Underwood. We let you travel. We allowed you to keep your searcher's license. We waited for you to bring proof of your preposterous claim. And what have you found in these, and what have you found in six months of travel? I just need more time, Grover pleaded. Nothing, the elder in the mill chimed in. You have found nothing. But Lena's, Selenius raised his hand. Carmen leaned in and said something to the satyrs. The satyrs didn't look happy. They muttered and argued among themselves, but Karen said something else in Selenius' side. He nodded reluctantly. Master Underwood, Selenius announced, we will give you one more try. Grover Brighton, thank you! One more week. What? But sir, that's impossible! One more week, Master Underwood. Then, if you cannot prove your claims, it will be time for you to pursue another career. Something to suit your dramatic talents. Puppet theater, perhaps, or tap dancing. But, sir, I, I can't lose my searcher's license. My whole life, this meeting of the council is adjourned, Selenius said. Now let us join our noon daily meal. The old satyr clapped his hands, and a bunch of nibs melted out of the trees with platters of vegetables, fruit, fruits, tin cans, and other goat del- delicacies. The circle of satyrs broke and charged their food. Grover walked dejectedly towards us. His faded blue t-shirt had a picture of a satyr on it. It said, got hooves? Hi, Percy, he said. So depressed he didn't even offer to shake my hand. That went well, huh? Those old goats, Juniper said. Oh, Grover, they don't know how hard you've tried. There's another option, Clary said darkly. No, no, Juniper shook her head. Grover, I won't let you. His face was ashen. I, I'll have to think about it, but we don't know where to look. What are you talking about, I asked. In the distance, a a conch horn bl- sounded. And the best pursed her lips. I'll fool you in later, Percy. We'd better get back to our cabins. As inspection is starting. It didn't seem that fair that I had to do inspection when I got to camp, but that wasn't the way it worked. Every afternoon, one of the senior counselors would come around uh, with, a, with a papyrus scroll checklist. Best cabin got first shower honor, hour, honor, which meant hot water guaranteed. The worst cabin got kitchen patrol after dinner. The problem for me, I was the usually the only one in the Poseidon cabin. I'm not exactly the thing that you would call neat. The cleaning of harpies only came through on the last day of summer, so my cabin was probably just the way I'd left it on the winter break. Chocolate wrappers and crisp and chip bags still on my bunk, my armor for capture the flag lying in pieces all around the cabin. I raced towards the commons area where the twelve cabins, one for each Olympian god, made a U around the central green. The Demeter kids were sweeping out theirs and making fresh flowers grow in their window boxes. Just by snapping their fingers, they could make honeysuckle vines glow, gr- bloom all over the doorway and daisies cover the roof, which was totally unfair. I don't think they ever got last place in expe- inspection. The guys in Hermes' cabins were scrambling around in panic, stashing dirty laundry under their beds and accusing each other of taking stuff. They were slobs, but still had a head start on me. Over at the Aphrodite cabin, Selena Bordegard was just coming out, checking items off the inspection scroll. I cursed under my breath. 
Selena was nice, but she was an absolute neat freak, the worst inspector. She liked things to be pretty. I didn't do pretty. I almost, I could almost feel my arms getting heavy from all the dishes I would have to do, I would have to scrub tonight. The Poseidon's cabin was at the end of the row of male gods. Cabins at the right end of the, on the right side of the green. It was made of a gray shell and clustered sea rock, long and low like a bunker. It had windows that faced the sea, and it always had a good breeze blowing through it. I dashed inside, wondering if I maybe could do a quick under-the-bed cleaning job like the Hermes guys. I found my half-brother Tyson sweeping the floor. Percy! He bellowed. He dropped his broom and ran at me. If you ever been charged by an enthusiastic cyclops wearing a flowered apron and rubber cleaning gloves, I'm telling you, it'll wake you up quick. Hey, big guy, I said. Ow, what's the ribs? The ribs. I managed to survive his bear hug. He put me down, grinning like crazy. His single half calf brown eye full of excitement. His teeth were as yellow as and crooked as ever, and, he, and his hair was a rat's next nest. He wore ragged XXL jeans and tattered flannel shirt under his flowered apron, but he was still a sight for his sore eyes. I hadn't seen him in almost a year since he'd gone under the sea to work at the Cyclops' forges. Are you okay? he asked. Not eaten by monsters? Not even a little bit. I showed him that I still had both arms and both legs. Tyson, cla- Tyson clapped happily. Yay! he said. Now we can eat peanut butter sandwiches and ride fish ponies. We can fight monsters and see Annabeth and make things go boom. I hoped he didn't mean all that at the same time. But I told him absolutely. We'd have lots of fun this summer. I couldn't help smiling. He was so enthusiastic about everything. But first, I said, we gotta work about we gotta worry about inspection inspection. We should Then I looked around and realized Tyson had been busy. The floor was swept, the bunks were made, the salt water fountains in the corner had been freshly scrubbed so the coral gleamed. On the window sills, Tyson had set out water filled vases with sea anemones and strange glowing plants from the bottom of the ocean, more beautiful than any flower bouquets the dim the Demeter kids could whip up. Tyson, the cabins look amazing. He beamed. See the fish ponies? I put them on the ceiling. A herd of miniature bronze hippocampi hung on wires from the ceiling, so it looked like they were swimming through the air. I couldn't believe Tyson, with his huge hands, could make things so delicate. Then I turned over at my bunk, and I saw my old shield hanging on the wall. You fixed it! The shield hadn't been badly damaged in a manticore attack last winter, but now it was perfect again. Not a scratch. All the bronze pictures of my adventures with Tyson and Annabeth and sea monsters were polished and gleaming. I looked at Tyson. I didn't know how to thank him. Then somebody said behind me, Oh my! Selina Bordegard was standing in the doorway with her inspection scroll. She stepped into the cabin, did a quick twirl, then raised her eyebrows at me. Well, I had my doubts, but you cleaned up nicely, Percy. I'll remember that. She winked at me and left the room. Tessina and I spent the afternoon catching up and just hanging out, which was nice after a morning of getting attacked by demon cheerleaders. We went down to the forge and helped the beckendorf from the Hephaestus cabin with his metalworking. Tyson showed us he'd learned to craft magic weapons. 
he fashioned a flaming double blade war axe so so fast that even Beckendorf was impressed. Impressed. While he worked, Tyson told told us about his year under the sea. His eye lit up when he described the Cyclops' forges in the Palace of Poseidon. But he also told us how tense things were. The old god of the, the gods of the sea, who ruled during Titan times, were starting to make war on our father. When Tyson had left, battles were raging all over the Atlantic. Hearing that made me feel anxious, like I should be helping out. But Tyson assured me that Dad wanted us both in camp. Lots of bad people above the sea, too, Tyson said. We can, we can make them go boom! After the forges, we spent some time at the canoe lake with Annabeth. She was really glad to see Tyson, but I could tell she was distracted. She kept looking over at the forest like she was thinking about Grover's problem with the council. I couldn't blame her. Grover was nowhere to be seen, and I felt really bad for him. Fighting the lost god Pan had been his lifelong goal. His father and his uncle had both disappeared following the same dream. Last winter, Grover had heard a voice in his head. I await you. A voice he was sure belonged to Pan. But apparently his search had led nowhere. If the council took him away his search's license, now it would crush him. What's this other way? I asked Annabeth. Think Clarice mentioned? She picked up a stone and it skipped across the lake. Something Clarice scouted out. I helped her a little a little this spring. But it would be dangerous, especially for Grover. Good boy scared me. Scares me, Tyson muttered. I stared at him. Tyson had faced down two fire-breathing bulls and sea monsters and cannibal giants. Why would you be scared of Grover's? Of Grover? Hoofs and horns, Tyson muttered nervously. Goat fur makes me makes my nose itchy. And that pretty much ended our Grover conversation. Before dinner, Tyson and I went down to the sword arena. Quintus was glad to have company. He still wouldn't let me know what it was in the wooden crates, but he did teach me a few sword moves. The guy was good. He felt the way some people play chess, like he was putting all extra moves and you couldn't see the pattern until he made the last stroke and won, and won with the sword at your throat. Good try, he told me, but your guard is too low. He lunged and I balked. Have you always been a swordsman? I asked. He paired my overhead cut. I've been many things. He jabbed and I sidestepped. Shoulder straps slipped down and I saw that mark on his shoulder. The purple blotch. But it wasn't a random mark, it was definitely shaped. A bird with folded wings, like a quail or something. What's that on your neck, I asked. Which probably was a rude question, but you can't blame my ADHD. But you can blame my ADHD. I tend to just blurt things out. Quintus lost his rhythm. He hit his sword hilt and knocked the blade out of his hand. He rubbed his fingers. Then he shifted his armor to hide the mark. It wasn't a tattoo, I realized. It was an old brand. It was an old burn. It had been branded. A reminder. He picked up his sword and forced a smile. Now shall we go again? He pressed me hard, not giving me any time for any more questions. While he and I fought, Tyson played with Mrs. O'Leary, whom he called the Little Doggy. They had a great time wrestling for a bronze shield and playing Get the Greek. By sunset, Quintus had even, hadn't even broke a sweat, which seemed kind of strange, but Tyson and I were both hot and sticky, so we hit the showers and got ready for dinner. I was feeling good. It was almost like a normal day at camp. Then dinner came, and all the campers lined up for their cabins and marched into the dining pavilion. Most of them ignored the sealed fissure on the marble floor at the entrance. 
a three-meter-long jagged scar that hadn't been there last summer. But I was careful to step over it. Big crack, Tyson said when he sat where, when we were at our table. Earthquake, maybe? No, I said, not an earthquake. I wasn't sure I should tell him. It was a secret only Annabeth Grover and I knew. But looking at Tyson's eye, I knew I couldn't hide anything from him. Nico D'Angelo, I said, lowering my voice. He's this half-blood kid we brought to camp last winter. He, um, he asked me to guard his sister on a quest, but I failed. She died. Now he blames me. Tyson frowned. So he put a crack in the floor? The skeletons attacked us, I said. Nico told them to go away. The ground just opened up and swallowed them. Nico... I looked around to make sure no one else was listening. Nico's the son of Hades. Tyson nodded thoughtfully. The god of dead people. Yeah. So the Nico boy's gone now? I, I guess. I tried to search for him for the spring... So did Annabeth, but we hadn't have any. We haven't had any luck. This is secret, Tyson. Okay, if anybody found out he has a son in Hades, he'd be in danger. We can't even tell Chiron. The bad prophecy, Tyson said. Titans might use it against him if, they, like, use him if they knew. I stared at him. Sometimes it was easy to forget that this big childlike, as he was, Tyson was pretty smart. He knew that the next child of the big three gods, Zeus, Poseidon, or Hades, who turned six, who turned sixteen, was prophesied to either save Olympus or destroy it. Most people assumed that meant me, but if I died before I turned sixteen, the prophecy could easily apply to Nico. Exactly, I said. So, mouth sealed. Tyson promised, like the crack in the ground. I had trouble falling asleep that night. I lay in bed listening to the waves on the beach and the owls and monsters in the woods. I, it was fair. I was afraid once I drifted off, I'd have nightmares. See, for half-bloods, dreams are hardly ever just dreams. They, we get messages. We see things that are happening to our friends or family or enemies. Sometimes we even glimpse the past or the future. And at camp, my dreams were always more frequent and vivid. So I, so I was awake around midnight, staring at the bunk bed mattress above me when I realized there was a strange light in the room. The saltwater fountain was glowing. I threw off the covers and walked cautiously towards it. Steam rolled, rose from the hot salt water. Rainbow colors shimmered through it, though there was no light in the room except for the moon outside. It was a pleasant female voice spoke from the steam. Please deposit one drachma. I looked over at Tyson, but he was still snoring. His, his, he sleeps through about as heavy as a transcolized elephant. I didn't know what to think. I'd never had a collect had a collect iris message before. One drachma gleam one golden drachma gleamed at the bottom of the fountain. I scooped it up and tossed it through the mist. The coin vanished. Oh Iris, goddess of the rainbow, I whispered. Show me um Whatever you need to show me. The mist shimmered. I saw the dark shore of the river. Wisps of fog drifted across the black water. The beach was strewn with jagged volcanic rock. A young boy squatted at the riverbank, ten- riverbank tending a campfire. The flames burned in a natural blue color. Then I saw the boy's face. It was Nico D'Angelo. He was throwing pieces of paper into... 
the fire. Mytho magic trading cards. Part of the game he'd been obsessed with last winter. Nico was only ten or maybe eleven by now, but he looked older. His hair had grown long, he was, it was shaggy and almost touched his shoulders. His eyes were dark, his olive skin had turned paler. He wore rippled black jeans and a battered aviator's jacket that was several sizes too big, unzipped over a black shirt. His face was grimy, his eyes a little wild. He looked like a kid who'd been living on the streets. I waited for him to look at me. No doubt he'd get crazy angry, starting accusing me of letting his sister die. But he didn't seem to notice me. I stood quiet, not daring to move. If he hadn't seen me, this I- if he hadn't sent if he hadn't sent this Irish message, who had? Nico tossed another trading card into the blue flames. Useless, he muttered. I can't believe I ever liked this stuff. A childish game, master, another voice agreed. It seemed to come from near the fire, but I couldn't see who was talking. Nico stared across the river. On the far shore was a black beach shrouded by shrouded and hazed. I recognized it, the underworld. Nico was camping on the edge of the river Styx. I failed, he muttered. There's no way to get her back. The other voice kept silent. Nico towards it, turned towards it doubtfully. Is there? Speak. Something shimmered. I thought it was just firelight, then I realized it was the form of a man. A wisp of blue smoke, a shadow. If you looked at him head on, he wasn't there. If you looked out of the corner of your eye, you could make out a shape of, out of shape. The ghost. It has never been done before, the ghost said, but, but there may be a way. Tell me, Nico commanded. His eyes shone with a for- fierce light. In exchange, the ghost said, a soul for a soul. I've offered. Not yours, the ghost said. You cannot offer y- your father a soul he will eventually collect anyway. Nor will he be anxious for the death of his son. I mean a soul that should have died already. Someone who has cheated death. Nico's face darkened. Not that again. You're talking about murder. I'm talking about justice. The voice said. The ghost said. Vengeance. Those are not the, those are not the same thing. The ghost laughed dryly. You will learn differently as you get older. Nico stared at the flames. Why can't I le- at least summon her? I want to talk to her. She would, she would help me. I will help you, the ghost promised. Have I not saved you many times? Did I not lead you through the maze and teach you to use your powers? Do you want revenge for your sister or not? I didn't like the ghost's tone of voice. It reminded me of a kid at my old school, a bully used to convince other kids to do stupid things, like steal lab equipment and vandalize the teacher's cars. The bully never got in trouble himself, but he got tons of other kids suspended. Nico turned from the fire so the ghost couldn't see him, but I could. A tear traced down his face. Very well, you have a plan? Oh yes, the ghost said, sounding quite pleased. We have many dark roads to travel. We must start... The image shivered. Shimmered. Nico vanished. The woman's voice from the mist said, Please deposit one golden drachma for another five minutes. There were no other coins in the fountain. I grabbed from my pockets, but there. Uh, but I was wearing pajamas. Lunch for the nightstand to check for a spare change, but the iris message had already blinked out, and the room went dark again. The connection was broken. I stood in the middle of her cabin, listening to the gurgle of the saltwater fountain and the ocean waves outside. Nico was alive. 
was trying to bring his sister back from the dead, and I had a feeling I knew who solely wanted to exchange. Someone who cheated death. Vagents. Nico D'Angelo would come looking for me. And that was chapter two. Um, yeah. Nice. I guess. Ended on a, um, quite creepy note, if I, uh, if I do say so myself. Which, I mean, I just did, so, yeah. And, um, yeah, but, but what do you guys think of my new jingle? Do I have it as an outro? Do I have some other thing as an outro, like... Bye! Do I do that? Or... Like... What? What, what do I do? Do I use my... Do I use that one? The old one as an outro? You guys tell me. Go to podbean.com or download the app Podbean. And, um, yeah. Also, in about, like, maybe a, a week, two weeks, I will be starting an Instagram, or the plan is that I'll be starting an Instagram for the podcast, actually. So I will tell you the name by then. And, yeah. Also, I'm sorry for a late upload, and I probably will have a late upload. So it's going to be Thursday. Instead of Wednesday, I'm sorry, I'm not feeling that well, and I'm kind of tired. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Have a good day.